Good morning, all my family here at the Digital Cathedral. Glad you're with me today on a beautiful Sunday morning. Some of you are hip deep in winter and snow, and here in Houston, Texas, it's been beautiful. We had that one cold snap, I guess about three, four weeks ago, that it got down into the teens, the middle teens, and caused some problems in some areas. But other than that, it's been a good winter. I hope, hope it's been a good winter for you. All right, this morning we're four, four messages deep into an area that I've never taught on before. And I've tried to, to emphasize to you that what I want you to do is just take this in and think about it. Just because I teach something doesn't mean you have to swallow it hook, line, and sinker. I, I never want to position myself to be the end-all, be-all, know-all. And everything I say is, you know, ex cathedra. It's like coming from the Pope. It's infallible. It's inerrant. And you have to believe it or you're all wrong. Nothing like that. I, th we're talking about immortality. And it's an area that's relatively new to me. I've, I've, I know there have been periods in history when this has kind of surfaced. But those that surfaced with it uh, a couple of generations ago, I don't think had near the foundation in grace and love and inclusion and and the things that we have learned in this wave that's covering the earth like a tsunami I mean people are coming out of religion like uh, like I can't believe I get messages continually from people that are inquiring wanting to know more and whose eyes are opening and I'm I'm thrilled at that I don't have time to personally mentor people it just you know it's not possible but I just, we're part of something that's bigger than us. And it seems like he, the Father just keeps unraveling one layer of the onion after the next. And right now we're kind of hit, and you're beginning to hear, hear it in some areas. I know my good friend Tommy, uh, Tommy Miller wrote a book called Deathless. Good book, you ought to get it. Help open your eyes to some things. He asked me to write a chapter. I've written a chapter in that book for Tommy. But we're starting to hear, hear about this idea of immortality. And I wanted to take four, five, six weeks and just just kind of lay it out so that when you hear it from other places, it's not going to be something that is strange or something you've never heard before. And I hope that you feel secure enough here at the Digital Cathedral that what I teach to you, you're, we're secure in one another here. We're on a journey. We're going the same direction that you can kind of just crockpot it. You can put it on the back burner and think about it. And then when you begin to see in scripture, which we're gonna talk about this morning, we're gonna talk this morning about Jesus teaching about immortality. I've never done one message in my life about Jesus teaching immortality. I'm not sure how this is gonna come out. I'm gonna do it in a way I've never done before. And that is to take a huge block of scripture from John six and begin to un unwind it verse by verse. There is a, a, a teaching method where you go verse by verse. I won't get into that, but. So I'm not sure how this is gonna be. If I'm a little bit clumsy this morning, if my delivery's a little bit off, it's because I'm doing this in a way that I wanna highlight what Jesus had to say about immortality. And once I see this in scripture, like I did grace, like I did the finished work, I can't unsee it. And I'm seeing more and more of it in scripture. So I, I wanna get my understanding enlightened. I wanna be able to hone in on what the Spirit of God is saying today, because. I know that we haven't hit the depth of what the new creation, this, this, this species of being that never existed on the planet before the resurrection, we haven't yet fully inherited, uh, have realized what our inheritance really is totally about. 
um, Paul, Paul said an, an amazing thing. So we're going to teach this morning about what Jesus had to say about immortality. I want to start with Paul for just a couple of thoughts. Because Paul said that the revelation that he received, he received directly from Jesus. And I'm going to get into Paul next week. We're going to look at what Jesus said this week. Next week we'll look at Paul. But I think it's a strong point where Paul said the revelation that he received, he received from Jesus. I've never, I've never received directly from Jesus revelation. So I put a lot of precedence in what Paul's saying because he wrote two-thirds of the, of the post-resurrection scripture, maybe a, a bigger percentage than that, post-resurrection. So when Paul says that what he learned, he learned from Jesus, uh, I put a lot of stock in it. In fact, he said it like this. In Galatians chapter 1, uh, verse 11, he says, he said, I want to make known to you that the gospel which was preached by me was not according to man. Paul was a true trailblazer. You're a trailblazer in, in what's going on in the earth today. So this attitude that Paul had, we, we need to have it too. Paul, Paul didn't pull any punches about it. He said, look, the thing that I'm teaching to you, I, di I didn't learn from man. I didn't read it in a book. Verse 12, I, I neither re received it from man nor was I taught it by man, but it came by the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, either Paul was totally mistaken or he really got revelation from Jesus Christ. Either he was unveiling in his writings what Jesus had revealed to him or he's lying to us. And I'm saying all that to say that in 2 Timothy, and we're going to talk a lot about this next week, but in 2 Timothy chapter uh, 1 and verses, let me read verses 8 through 11. He said, Do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me as prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. Now, the sufferings that you and I do for the gospel, nothing like Paul, Paul faced. Sufferings that you and I face when somebody unfriends us or blocks us on Facebook or people down to the church, they just ignore you or they talk about you. I mean, that's, that's pretty much the extent of our suffering. Nobody beat you with rods or stoned you, um, whipped you with a cat and nine tails. He said, I, this gospel according to the power of God, who has, past tense, saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, which would include our magic prayer, water baptism, uh, confession, believing in our heart, not according to works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us freely, handed over, imputed in Christ Jesus before time began. That's the objective truth. That was a done deal before time, and I've done a lot of teaching on that. But has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who has, now watch what Paul said. Remember, he said, I, the revelation I got, I got from Jesus directly. He said, Christ who has abolished death. Well, if he's abolished death, why are, why are we still subject to it? <clears throat> He's abolished death and brought life and immortality. That word immortality means indestructible, incorruptible, not subject to deterioration, lacking the capacity to decay. So let me define what I mean by immortality. I have no intention on having my feet on terra firma for two, three, four, five hundred years. That's, that's not my, my purpose in this. To, to me, immortality means that we are entitled to live a long, full, prosperous, productive, fruitful life. And that we should not die of sickness and disease. We should not die uh, from a bullet, from a, a gun or a carjacker. 
Um, Jesus said, nobody takes my life from me, I lay it down. And I think that is what immortality is about. There comes a point, and Paul, Paul reaches, I finished my course, I'm done, I've done everything I need to do, now it's time for me to go. And I think that's, that's the transition that we look to. It's not that we fear death. This fear of death has got to go. Perfect love casts out fear, including the fear of death. And I think some of the things we're going to talk about this morning is going to help us to alleviate that position where we fear death. Immortality, when, you, when, when transitioning is no different than getting out of your car and walking into the grocery store, and you're living in two dimensions at one time as Jesus did, Jesus didn't fear death. He didn't fear death. He knew where he came from, knew where he was going, and he had that, that union, that connection with the Father that he lived in two dimensions. He walked on water, walked on land. He could, he could tap supernatural, he can live in natural. And when, you, when you're living in that dimension, that's part of what immortality is all about, in my estimation. So immortality to me, don't get the wrong idea. I'm going to say everybody's going to live forever and everybody on the planet going to be 3,000 years old. No, 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 no. I don't think that's the, the, the plan. I don't think that's the design. But it, it is to live where our bodies don't decay, don't deteriorate, and we make a decision as to the time that we go based upon the Father revealing to us that our time is up, that we've, we've accomplished it. And we look forward with joy and anticipation, as Paul did, what, what was in, in front of him. So I think if, if what Paul received from Jesus was by revelation, then I think we really got to look at what Jesus taught concerning immortality because Paul, Paul conveyed it plainly in that, and he did other places too, as well as demonstrate it. I don't want to get into next week's teaching. So if he received from Jesus revelation, then we need to take a look at what Jesus said. We need to kind of, what I call deep dive into what Jesus said about immortality. Surely Jesus did not mean by an abundant life that we end up sick, we end up diseased, and we die. Surely he didn't mean living a lifetime of fearing death and wondering what awaits us and is the Father going to receive us and all that kind of thing. We're a generation that's moving out of that. And if Jesus did not teach immortality, if he did not teach eternal life without that speed bump of death in the middle, but it's moving one dimension to the other, even while you're learning to live in two dimensions at one time, if he didn't teach that, then we shouldn't touch it with a 10-foot pole. So we're going to look at it this morning. One of the biggest obstacles I think that we encounter with Jesus teaching on eternal life is this ground-in mindset that we have uh, inherited since we could remember anything. We went to church or heard anything about life. It's this ingrained mindset that we have to die and then we enter into heaven. I'm not going to go back and, and study out John chapter 11, verse 25 and 26, where Jesus laid out two groups of people. He said, even though you believe in me and die, you'll live again, one group. And Jesus said, whosoever lives and believes in me will never die. Verse 26, verse 25, there's room for healing, there's room for raising the dead, and that's pretty much where we've lived in verse 25. But that 26 verse, he sets a, a, a separate group aside that live and believe in him, and the living... We're going to see from Scripture this morning, the living in Him is what makes the absolute difference. So I want to take this morning, 
to talk about Jesus and immortality. Next week, I want to talk about Paul and immortality. Then in week six, we're just going to kind of tie the whole thing up, and then we need to move along. And I think what I've accomplished, I hope, my purpose is in planting the seed and at least opening a perception and understanding of what is, is kind of coming and breaking, a breaking wave about immortality. Mortality, And if you want to get a real comprehensive study of it, I, like I say, go to, go to Amazon and order my friend Tommy Miller's book on Deathless. He did a great, great study on it, and I think that you'll find it very useful. So, I want to look at two blocks of scripture this morning that Jesus taught. He actually taught four or five blocks, or different times. I just want to take two blocks. And as I said at the start of the teaching this morning, I'm going to do this in a way I've never done this. I've never taught like this before. I'm going to take John chapter 6. If you have your Bible, get it, because we're going to go from verses 25 through 61, and we're going to look at it. My purpose this morning, my purpose, my goal, is to pull you up like to 30,000 feet and just give you a high-level view of what Jesus had to say about immortality. And in these 41, uh, 41 verses... We're, from 25 to 66, we're going to see where Jesus addresses three groups of people. He, he addresses the crowd, he addresses the Jews, and he addresses the 12 disciples. And so we're going to just kind of walk through this. And this is a, a, a powerful passage of scripture on immortality or eternal life. And he speaks about being the bread of life. He speaks about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. And that was a that was a, like a, a shocker to those that heard it because it sounded like cannibalism. And even today, people shy away from that passage. It, it's it's the strongest passage in the in the scriptures about the Lord's Supper or Eucharist, the Lord's Table, whatever you call it. It's it's the strongest passage about it, and yet we we pretty much ignore it in in favor of First Corinthians. I can't remember if it's chapter 11. I used to use it all the time as a pastor when I did communion because it's a little more gentle and it just kind of lays it out. Or when Jesus served the Last Supper uh, before he was betrayed, it, it kind of lays it out easier. But even in that passage, Jesus says, take and eat, this is my body. Uh, drink this, this is the blood of the new covenant. So our Catholic friends call that transubstantiation where they believe that when you ingest the bread, it actually becomes his body. And when you drink the cup, it actually becomes his blood. Now, I used to really argue with that, but I can't argue with the word of Jesus when he said, take and eat, this is my body. He didn't say this is symbolically my body. Protestants, we've done that. And I'm not arguing for one case or the other this morning. I'm just laying it out for you. So I'm going to pull you up to 30,000 feet. We're going to look at a passage uh, that's their biggest day, and I'm going to walk you through it. So stay with me this morning. If you have your Bible, I want you to follow. If, go, go grab it right now. Go grab it right now and, and get the dust off of it. And come over to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. If you, use, if you want to use your phone, that, that's fine. I know a lot of people use their, their phone now. I'm, I'm old school. I got the book. Uh, and I like to read through because if you could see my Bible, I got it. I got it all marked up with lines and exclamation points and notes and all kinds of things that go on. So this is my Bible here. No Bible reads like my Bible. So let me let me just start here. Let me I'm going to do this in blocks. I think I got it down to five blocks of Scripture. So let me start with verses 25 to 27. But before I get into it, let me give you the backdrop. 
Let me give you the backdrop. Jesus had just fed the 5,000 with five loaves, two fish. He just had performed a miracle and fed a multitude. So in verse 16, and I'm just giving you some backdrop so that when we get into this actual 25 to, um, to 66, you'll understand who he's, who he's talking to and why he says what he says. In, in verse 16, it's, and he's fed the 5,000. And when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea. And they got into the boat and went to over the sea toward Capernaum. And it was now dark. This is important. And Jesus was not with them. So they left Jesus. They got in the boat and they headed for Capernaum. And the, and the sea rose because of a great wind was blowing. So when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near the boat. And they were afraid. Well, I guess you might have been afraid too. See, they never see anybody walking on water. I've never seen anybody walking on water. I did in the shack when the guy ran on, on top of the water. If you haven't seen that movie, get it. Rent it. Do it, whatever you got to do. It's a great movie. And Jesus, don't be afraid. It's me. And they willingly received him into the boat and immediately... The boat was at the land where they were going. There's two miracles right there. Just after the, they saw the miracle of feeding the 5,000, they saw miracle number two, Jesus walking on water. Number three, he gets into the boat, and the boat is immediately at the other side. Man, I'm tempted to get into it as he is so are we in this world. See, this is why I say there are mysteries and dimensions that are available to us that we haven't hit yet. Don't, don't balk at them. Don't refuse them. You don't, you don't know what's going to happen in the days ahead. There, listen, there may be a group of people in South Africa that need to hear the gospel. And you, you, take, a, you take a trip and, and never leave your house. You end up in South Africa and you fulfill your assignment and come back. There's all kinds of things that I think are within uh, quantum physics as a science is teaching us much about the kingdom. And it's not flaky. It's not hokey. It's science. So they saw three things. Now it says in verse 22, the following day when the people who stood on the other side of the sea saw that there was no other boat there except the one which the disciples had entered without Jesus and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but his disciples had left him and gone away alone. However, other boats came from Tiberias near the place where, where they are that where they ate the bread after the Lord had given thanks. When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they all got in the boat and came to Capernaum seeking Jesus. Now this is where we're going to begin to pick it up. So you got the backdrop. The people had, had just been fed, man. I mean, Jesus broke the Big Macs, the fries, the quarter pounders, the frosties. He fed the whole multitude. They were filled. That's that's what was sticking in their minds. They were looking for some more. So they, they go and they're looking for Jesus. They can't figure out where he was because they saw the disciples leave without him. And in verse 25, when they found Jesus on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Let me give you Keithley paraphrase. Jesus, how in the heck did you show up here? We know you didn't leave with the disciples. Now here's what Jesus answers. Verse 26, Jesus answered, said, Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, 
Not because you're interested in spiritual truth. Not because you're interested in the kingdom. Not because you're interested in even operating in the kingdom. You seek me because you ate the loaves and were filled. You're looking for another free lunch. Then in verse 27, he says, Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life. Now, that's the first clue that Jesus gives. He said, don't labor, don't work. Don't try to, to uh, make that your target, your goal for the Big Macs and the Frosties. He said, rather, you need to go after that, which will give you, and here's his first reference, everlasting life. Everlasting life. Everlasting life is, is actually the word, it's, it, it comes back to this aeonius zoe. Remember I told you aeonius is an is a, uh, adjective in the Greek, and it describes the verb. In this case, the verb is life or zoe. Zoe is the life of God. So aeonius zoe would describe the age of the life of God, which, is, which there is no break in it. There is no stopping to die, and then you pick it up again. It's just ongoing. It's just continuous. He said, in this everlasting life, which the Son of Man gives you, he gives it to you. You don't have to ask for it. You don't have to request it. You don't have to pray for it, beg for it. It is an imputed, imparted gift. And if I could just get that through the head of the evangelical church, we'd be further down the road. <clears throat> He said, I do this because the Father has set his seal or his validation. He's approved him and he's able to do this because of the validation. Verse 28, then they said to him, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? In other words, okay, tell us how to, how to tap into this. Tell us how we can go home and just speak hocus pocus, abracadabra, and lunch is spread out in front of us. He just got done saying, don't, don't, don't be looking after that bread. He said, I want you to go after that, which is everlasting, everlasting life. So what Jesus is doing here, he's pointing back to their experience of being fed as part of the 5,000. And he encourages them. He said, guys, look, don't, don't work for physical food. He said, I want you to, to learn how to tap into that, which that bread, that food, that sustenance, which gives eternal life where there's no beginning and, and absolutely no end, all right? So Jesus is talking to the, to the people. He's talking to the multitudes here. And he continues on, let me read verses 28 to 33, and he continues to talk to them. You got your Bible? John chapter six, verse 28. Then they said to him, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? And Jesus said to them, this is the work of God. All right, you wanna know what the work of God is? He said, it's to believe in him whom the Father has sent. I got an itch. He said, that's the only work that we are ever to do is to believe. See, believing, believing actually is not a work. We've made it a work. Like, got to get my believer up. Got to get my believer strong. Believing, remember my definition? Believing is an effortless response to revelation. So what he's, what he's saying there, if I understand it correctly, He's saying the only thing that you need to do is to respond to the revelation that I'm giving to you. And that's all he ever asks of us, that we respond to the revelation that he gives to us. Therefore, verse 30, they said to him, what sign will you perform then that we can see it and believe, understand, what, what work will you do? They said, our fathers 
ate the manna in the desert, and it is written, he gave them the bread from heaven to eat. And they're, they're saying that Moses is the one, our fathers ate men in the desert, as written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, most surely I say to you, Moses didn't give you that bread. That bread came from my father who gives you true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven, listen, comes down from heaven and gives life, zoe, he gives it, he gives it, imparts it to the world, cosmos, entirety of creation. What? So what, what, what's Jesus getting across here? Jesus is encouraging them to go after different bread. They don't know about it, so they jump on the manna, something they're familiar with, something they can see. So Jesus charges them and tells them that God's bread's different from manna. Manna was not bread. The word manna actually means, what is it? They had never seen what it was before. I've heard a lot of descriptions of what manna is, and again, we're not gonna get into that this morning. But the point is, it wasn't bread, but that's what they likened it to. Jesus says, guys, look, you don't, you're not catching on. God gives bread that is zoe, that is life, and he gives it, he distributes it. Just as I did yesterday, remember when I just passed out bread to everybody? I didn't, I didn't ask if you'd prayed the prayer, didn't ask if you were water baptized. I just gave it out freely, and all you did was eat it. He said, that's exactly the way that my father distributes the bread that I'm talking about. I mean, that's bold, man, that, that's strong because there's, there's nothing that is outside of the cosmos. There's nothing outside of creation. So in essence, Jesus is saying that is the Father's design to give life to the whole world. That's why I talk to you about being a manifested son and daughter because we are the linchpin in this. We are at the top of the food chain, so to speak. No, no connection to bread here. But we, we are the ones that the Father said, I want you to take charge, I want you to subdue, take dominion. So what's going to spring uh, the cosmos, the animal world, and the entirety of the creation into Zoe is it's got to come from you and me, even as what we receive comes from Jesus. So whatever this, this bread is, it's powerful. <laughs> Who wouldn't want it? Of course they wanted it. So let's, let's pick it up. Let me read verse 33 again. We're going to, going to go down to verse 40. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, always give us this bread. Who wouldn't want it? Of course. And Jesus said to him, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. You're never going to go without. You're not going to come up short. You're not going to have a lack. He who believes in me shall never thirst. All right, that's the two things you need. You need food and water. And Jesus said, I got you covered. I got you covered with this, this life that I'm going to give to you. But I said to you that you also have seen me and don't believe. All, verse 37, all that the Father gives me will come to me. This is an important verse, and I'm going to refer back to it when we get over to 45. All that the Father gives to me, verse 37, will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. That is, a, that is an inclusive verse. I, I want to get to verse 45, but just, just take it, my word for it right now that everybody comes to him. And I'm going to show you that from verse 
45, but he's setting it up. He's setting it up in verse 37. He says, everyone that comes to me, I will by no means cast out. He's not going to lose any. For I came down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of the one who sent me. Jesus said, I came to seek and to save that which is lost. So he came to give this bread to everybody. And this is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. Now, in this passage of scripture, he makes uh, this reference to last day three or four times. <clears throat> the last day, I know what you heard at church, last day is not, is not the end of time. The last day, li listen to me, the last day that Jesus is referring to is the end of one age, one aeonius, and the beginning of another, which happened at the resurrection. The BC from the AD, a new age. The last day was the day that was to be the way it is then until things were to change. And he raised us up at the last day. He raised us up on that resurrection day. See, he's, he's alluding to all this. They, they, they're not getting it. This is a transitional generation. So I'm sure, that means they lived on both sides of the cross. Many of them did. So I'm sure when they got to the other side of the cross and looked back, they go, ah, oh snap. <laughs> I see what Jesus meant by this last day because now the, the page is turned and we have turned to it. We're new creations. We're, we're brand new. We've been born again. That, that past is behind us, right? That was the end of the age, last day. And he says again in verse 40, And this is the will of the one who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life. Jesus just keeps referring to this, referring to this. And what we have done is we have knocked it over to being uh, spiritual. Jesus isn't talking about spiritual. He's talking about life that is then and point forward. He's not talking about a blip that you die, have to die to get it. You have to die to walk into it. He's saying it's everlasting. It's, it's perpetual. And you can study the words out for yourself. All right? So Jesus, Jesus really gets down to this. So after, after hearing how wonderful this bread is, of course, they, they want it. They ask for it. He's talking to the people, the people, the multitude. So Jesus tells them, look, I'm the bread of life. And whoever eats this bread, and they're going, huh? Whoever eats this bread will have eternal life. Aeonius Zoe. So now the Jews are over there listening to all this conversation. Jesus has totally blown their minds. I'm sure they have no clue. They will after the resurrection. They will as the spirit of truth comes and reveals. They'll get some of it. The Jews standing by hear it. Now in the next couple of blocks of scripture, he talks to the Jews. These are the guys who got spiritual understanding. They're the ones that are supposed to have be on top of it all. So he picks it up in verse 40, 41 down to 51, and he spends some time talking to the Jews. Verse 41. Let me say again, what I'm trying to get this morning across to you, Jesus talks to people. He talks to the religious. He talks to the 12. And, and, and there's, a, there's a perpetual thread that runs through this. And it's about immortality. It's about life that does not end. It's about, it's about eating. And I'm, we're going to see what Jesus says eating and drinking is all about. How it actually happens. Never heard anybody say this before. But he, he, he brings it right out in a verse. And I'll show it to you. But let's talk to the Jews a little bit. 
The Jews then murmured against him because he said, I am the bread which comes down from heaven. And they said, this guy isn't special. Isn't Jesus the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it that he says, I came down from heaven? He didn't come down from heaven, popped out of his mama's belly like everybody else. He's one of us. Then Jesus answered and said to them, do not murmur among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up. Here he goes again. I'll raise him up at the last day, passing one age to the next age. One day I have resurrection. Verse 45, it is written in the prophets and they will all be taught. Now listen to me. <laughs> We're gonna, I'm going to refer you back to verse 37 now. Hope I'm not going too fast for you. It is written in the prophets and they will all be taught by God. Everybody's going to see at some point, at some point, maybe not in the time that was created to serve us, but at some point in the Aeonius Zoe, therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the father comes to me. So who are, who are those that learned and heard from the father? He tells us in the first part of the verse, they will all be taught by God. Do you get that? This is it. This is so inclusive. He's saying this eternal life is going to is going to be imputed and given to all. It is written the prophets they will all be taught by God. Therefore everyone who has been taught by the Father comes to me, which is everybody. All right. Now back to verse 37. Let me just tie it in for you. All that the Father gives me will come to me, which verse 45 are all those that have been taught of the Father. And I will by no means cast out any. I'm going to include every, everybody going to be in on this. And in verse 39, and this is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all he has given to me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the resurrection. And in, there again, it's a direct reference to verse 45, that God will teach everybody. God knows exactly how to teach all of us. He knows how we're wired, knows our personality, our emotions, the way that we think. And he knows how to how to how to communicate with us. He created us. He should. And so Jesus says, everyone's going to be taught by God, and everyone that's taught belongs to me. <clears throat> Verse forty-six. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. That's Jesus. So the accurate report of what the Father's like is not Isaiah, Jeremiah, or Ezekiel. It's Jesus. He's the only one that has seen the Father. I am the bread of life. Flat out statement, verse 48. Verse 49, your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and are dead. Stone cold dead. That's not what I'm bringing. This is the bread which comes down from heaven that a man may eat of it and not die. Can it be any, any more plain? And will not die. So death is not the, the speed bump you have to go over to get to the other side to enjoy eternal life. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. I mean, this passage is full of it. It's just full of immortality. It's full of what we should be embracing. It's a mystery. I, I'm not here this morning to tell you I know how to pull it off. I don't. It is a mystery. But... Just because I'm not walking in it does not negate the objective truth of what Jesus is teaching. 
When I first heard the teaching on grace, I go, I don't get this, man. What, do you, what, do you, what are you talking about? We don't have to live right and be right and do right and strive and push it and fight the devil. Are you telling me this, this is too good to be true? And somebody, somebody, it might have been Steve McVeigh said, brother, that is the gospel. It's too good to be true. It's good news. There's no bad news in it. And this was back in 2000, 23 years ago. Now, I get it. I live it. I walk it. I enjoy it. Who's to say that this is not the same? It's just the next level of consciousness. And I'm telling you, we're in a time when there are two dimensions that are merging. And you're going to be able to move, as Jesus did, from one dimension to the next. Now, if we don't push the ball down the field far enough, our kids and our grandkids will, and we should be building for that. Verse 52, he's still speaking to the Jews. All right, Let, let's carry it down, verse 52 through 59. 52, the Jews therefore quarreled among themselves, saying, how could this man give us his flesh to eat? They're just thinking so, so natural. Then Jesus said to them, most assuredly I say to you, now he just blows them away. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Remember the Old Testament, the life's in the blood? They're immediately thinking natural. Whosoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. Here he goes again. And I will raise him up at the last day. This is, this, this is blowing their minds. In fact, it still blows the minds of people today. For my flesh is food indeed and my blood is drink. Now, verse 56. Verse 56. Six, I want you to get this because he tells us what this means. Here is a key. I want you to meditate on this this week. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood, watch, dwells in me and I in him. That's union. We dwell in him and he dwells in us. Remember John 14, 20? In that day you'll know that I'm in the Father, the Father's in me, I'm in you, you're in me, we're all in one together. It's exactly what he's getting at. The awareness of union, that he is now flesh of our flesh and bone of our bone. That it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ that lives in me. I was crucified with Christ, my life has become one with his. This is union, no longer I'm living for Jesus, it's no longer Jesus living through me. It's that now we're living one life. There is a union with distinction. I have a personality. Jesus has a personality. But the spirit, the heart, the DNA. This is, this is how we eat and drink him. Is, is the, the awareness of union. The strength of union. The meditation on union. The, uh, the assimilation of his life into our life. This is, this is the whole thing that he's giving at. He said... Because I, I, I live, therefore, whoever feeds on me will live forever. Whoever feeds on me, whoever, whoever drinks this union in, whoever eats on this union, he's going to live forever. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers ate the men are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. Now watch what he, I, I picture Jesus teaching this out in a field somewhere. Or over by the sea. That's not verse 59. That's why I always visualize. I never rec recognize verse 59. These things he taught in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. He's laying this stuff out in church. That, that was 
the scribes and Pharisees, that's their stronghold, man. That's where they, that's where they ruled the roost. And Jesus walks in there and begins to point out some things to them that they never realized before. And they, I, I'm sure they had no clue about it. Just as many today were just, just starting to see a little crack in the door on what Jesus was teaching in his passage of scripture. Now he's going to talk to the disciples. He's handled the crowd. He's laid it out for them. He's gotten even more specific and graphic with the, with the religious group, with the God followers, right? The, the, the know-it-alls, the theologians. Now he looks at his disciples, verse 61 down to verse 66. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, says, that is a hard saying. Who can understand it? You know good and well that if they didn't understand it and they'd been walking with Jesus now sometime, that certainly the scribes and the Pharisees didn't understand it. The crowd didn't understand it because you need, you need the spirit of truth. You need revelation. The Holy Spirit has got to open your eyes to this. So our eyes are starting to open. When Jesus knew in himself, he perceived, man, the guy was perceptive that the disciples murmured about this, he said to them, does this offend you? Now that word offense kind of a jacked up word. It's not really, if you look in a, in a Strong's Concordance, actually what it means is, does this cause you to stumble? Offend is not a good word. Stumble is the, is the ideal word. And that's basic. I don't know why they didn't put stumble in there. Jesus is saying, look, you guys have been walking with me. Is this tripping you up? Is this Is this doing something that is going to break our walk together. Is this causing you to stumble? What then if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? And they did see it. It is the Spirit that gives life. Flesh profits nothing. So I'm, I, I'm bringing you, Jesus says, into a, another level of consciousness. I'm, I'm working into you. You don't, you don't understand it now. But when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he's going to reveal truth to you. You're going to see exactly what I'm talking about. And they did. They lived it out. Verse 64, but there are some of you who do not believe. Some of you that are not responding, that are not agreeing with the revelation that I'm giving to you. Verse 65, he said, therefore I, I say to you, no one can come to me unless it has been given to him from the Father. Keithley translation on that verse. The reason you're not seeing it yet is because it's not time. The Father has not quickened you. He's not opened your eyes. He's not awakened you. Nobody can come to me unless, unless he has, it has been given to him from my Father. So at the right time, you're going to see it. And that's what's going on today. It's the right time. When the fullness of time came, it says in Galatians, the Father sent forth his Son. The fullness of time is here, and he's sending forth manifesting sons and daughters. And this thing of immortality, I'm, I'm beginning to see is part of this puzzle that needs to fit together so that we walk without fear. No man takes our life. We, 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 we're, not, we're not buckling under religion. We're not buckling under the, uh, the, 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 the gaze of people that are looking at us with disdain, saying, who do you think you are? Wasn't, wasn't this Don Keithley that was born of that, those two kids in high school that were seniors? Isn't that him? Who's he? He's one of us. Yeah, I really am. But you know what? I got a DNA. I'm a partaker of the divine nature. And I'm seeing things that, that we need to see. And you're seeing things that we need to see. Verse 66. And from that time, many of his disciples went back uh, 
and they walk no more with Jesus. That is, that is the reaction that you're, you have been getting in some cases to all that you've been seeing. People are not walking with you anymore. They've, they've rejected, they've set you aside. You might still go to lunch with them, but you've, you may be made an agreement. We don't talk about religion anymore, right? They're, they're, not, they're not in sync with you. You were in sync with them when you all believed the same. Down at the church house, you didn't have real fellowship. What you had was an agreement around a doctrine. You had an agreement around like beliefs. And as long as those like beliefs were intact, which was happening with the disciples and with the Jews, those groups that Jesus was talking to, as long, if Jesus would have just uh, went along to, to go along uh, with the Sadducees and the Pharisees, he wouldn't have had any trouble. But Jesus said, Look, I got to just shoot you straight. He said, here's, here's who I am. Here's what I've come to do. And you need to get that posture in your life. You just need to get bold and strong cowboy up, as we say in Texas. You just need to cowboy up and say, this is who I am. This is what I believe. And as you do that, there are going to be some people who want to know more because the Father's opening their eyes also to what you saw five years, 10 years, 15 years ago, they're now starting to see it. There's wave after wave after wave. If you're at a place where you can just explain grace and what the finished work of the cross is, you're a useful tool because there are going to be people that flush in that need to know exactly what it is that you believe. So, in other words, from, from verse 61 down to 66, He's talking about this immortal, everlasting life is only accomplished by the Spirit. Nobody comes to him except the Father draws them. So he's saying this is a work of the Spirit. You know, you can't do some spiritual exercise to get it. It's, it is a spirit timing thing. It is a fullness of the time thing. Uh, you can't take enough vitamins for it. You can't pump iron down the gym. You can't try to make yourself stay healthy to live forever. This is an impartation by the Spirit. It's... It is the, uh, it's the Romans 8, 11. <clears throat> now, the further we go into this, some of these other verses that we talk a lot about, you're going to see on an entirely different level. So in Romans chapter 8, verse 11, it says, But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead, physical death, the spirit raised Jesus from physical death. That was, that. was This is the new age. This is the new time. This is now past getting past the last day. If it dwells in you, and it does, it does, you need to make an affirmation of it. Remember last week we talked about affirmations. You need to affirm the Spirit of God dwells in me. I am a spirit. I am a spirit. I'm having a human experience maybe, but I am a spirit. And, and my spirit gives life to my mortal flesh. That's what he's telling us. If that spirit dwells in you, the, the one that raised Christ from the physical death will also give Zoe an infusion of his eternal life without end to your mortal, your subject to death body. It will, it will transform it. The word transfiguration is the word for the year. And I think there's a huge key I'm meditating, I'm pondering about when Jesus went to the Mount of Transfiguration and he was transfigured. That's a guy that was, I mean, he's demonstrating two dimensions there. This, this is, this is two-dimensional living. You got this body subject to death, and you got this spirit giving it life. Now, what you, what we're learning to do, what the kingdom of God is all about, is learning how to function as a human, 
at the same time, you ain't just a human. You're 100% human, but you're also 100% divine. That's the life that has been imparted and given to you. That, what, that's what makes you a new creation. That, that's what makes you like no other group of people that have ever lived on the planet. Don't you wish you'd have heard some of this 15, 20, 25 years ago? I only wish <laughs> I knew at 25 or when I started being a pastor at 22 what I know now as an old man. I wish I knew it. I wish I knew. But I'll tell you what, I, I, I'm getting revitalized every day. I'm getting stronger every day. I see it. Now, am I going to fully realize this? I don't know. It's not my, it's not my job. My job is to believe on him and eat uh, his flesh and drink his blood. I become unionized. See myself that way. Walk that way. So that now do you understand more about Romans chapter 8, verse 11? There is a spirit that is working within you that is bringing about this union that is quickening, giving life, giving eternal life, zoe, the very life of God, to your mortal flesh. If you through the spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, you will live. So you take spirit, which you are, and you recognize that's who you are, and you say, this is what's going to control my life. This is what's going to control the way that I live. Okay? Now, it, I'm not going to have time to get into other passage. I'll, just, I'll give you the address. And this way you can go through and you can look at it. You can look at it. And you draw your own conclusions on it. My conclusion is that Jesus taught immortality. He lived it. Paul lived it. John lived it. I don't have time to get to, to John. We're just going to do Paul next week and move on. John chapter 10. I want you to look at John chapter 10 and hit that 10th verse and then go verses 24 to 33. Because Jesus says in John 10, 10, you know the verse, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Thief comes to kill, to kill, to destroy. That's what we've been living out. The thief. In this particular verse, he's talking about the Pharisees and they're not ministering life. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life, have it more abundantly. All right, keep that in mind. Abundant life is, is a life that doesn't, isn't experiencing sickness and deterioration and, and decay. It's an ongoing, and then go down to verses 24 through 33. And I want you to go ahead and think about those verses. All right. Now, let me just conclude some things here. Let me just kind of wrap this up a little bit. Don't, don't click off yet. Don't click off. If, if death couldn't hold Jesus and you were co-resurrected with him, then listen, death can't hold you either. Unless we believe it can. And many of us are still in that place where we believe that we live and then die and then walk into eternal life, John eleven twenty five. 25. But ours is starting open to verse 26. He that lives and believes in me, that's eating and drinking the flesh in union, one, oneness, We'll never die. Now there's so much that we're believe we're believing for, and we and we know will be as the Father through the Son and the Spirit has declared it. All right. Here's here's just four or five things we absolutely know, and I want to just add this to the end. All right. We know, for example, that the kingdom of God is emerging, and it will be above every kingdom. It'll come through you. We know that the manifestation of the sons of God is here. You're manifesting now as a son. We know that believers are coming to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. You are growing like a weed. 
I am so proud of so many of you that I have seen such exponential growth. And it comes by what we're learning. I, I pastored people 25, 30, 35 years. They didn't change a bit because what I was bringing to them was a mixture message. I wasn't bringing what I'm bringing to you. We know, number four, that everybody's going to confess Jesus as Lord. They're all going to be brought, they're all going to be taught by God, and all that are taught come to Jesus. We just read it. And we know, number five, that the last enemy that is going to be destroyed is death. Death is no friend of God. Death is no friend of yours. It's not something that we view as the ultimate conqueror. It's coming under our feet. Those things are finally being talked about. These, these four, five, six things that I just mentioned, they're finally being talked about. And like Abraham, we're going to believe that the one who promised it to us is going to be the one that is able to perform it. So our job, like the cloud of witnesses, like Abraham, Moses, and Jesus, and Paul, is, is to just start and let him finish it. All right? So our position is to remain focused on the kingdom. Seek first the kingdom. Everything we've talked about comes out of the kingdom. Amen. All right, we looked at Jesus this week. Next week, we're going to look at Paul because Paul's our man. Paul's our post-resurrection theologian and revelator. So we're going to look at what Paul said next week about this thing of immortality. God bless you. See you Wednesday night. And uh, have a... Actually, I will not be on Wednesday night. I'm getting ready to head down. Uh, yeah, I'll be with you Wednesday. I'll be with you Wednesday. We're good. See you then. We'll talk a little bit more about this. God bless you. Thank you for your help. Amen. Bye-bye.